Welcome to Books of Titans. I'm Jason Staples, together with Eric Rostad, and this podcast is dedicated to the influences of influencers, the books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectual scientists, and others. And we'll talk about what makes these books so important and influential, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about these important works. Today we're going to cover Buck Up, Suck Up, and Come Back When You Foul Up. And uh, that doesn't rhyme. rhyme. (laughs) No, no, that that doesn't actually rhyme. Um, We'll just leave it at that. As for who recommended the book, uh, it is by it was recommended by Tim Ferriss in the pages of his own book, Tools of Titans. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who he is, so we're not going to belabor that point. As for the authors themselves, it is written by James Carville and Paul Begala. I believe that's how you say his name there, Paul Begala. They're the political strategists most commonly connected to, most well-known for, their uh, work on the Bill Clinton campaign uh, as the campaign strategist, campaign managers for Bill Clinton in 1992. Uh, And Carvel is especially famous for coming up with the line in the Bill Clinton campaign that uh, wound up being the the tagline that everybody remembers, it's the economy, stupid. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, this book gives lots of, uh, lots of, sort of peeks behind the curtain into how they 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 thought about uh, running that election and also how they just generally think about leadership and uh, and strategy and all sorts of other things plenty in here to that's uh, worthwhile uh, although as the title and the uh, suggested rhyme in the title might suggest uh, it's not going to be necessarily everybody's uh, favorite flavor of tea. But uh, lots in here, a lot of, lot of fun quotes and a uh, lot of uh, anecdotes that are worth it. So we're going to go ahead and walk through some of our favorite stuff from this book. And uh, we'll start with Eric's favorite quotes. Uh, looking at the show notes here, uh, it's not going to be one for you today, nor is it uh, going to be for me. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, get to your favorite quotes. Yeah, and I, and I always give you uh, a hard time for choosing more than one. And here I have five. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get started and go ahead and turn the podcast to double or triple speed if you need to. Uh, First quote, knowing what to do is not that hard. What separates the successful from the mediocre is the ability to get other people to do what you need them to do. Second quote, bureaucracies are where good ideas go to die. Like that one, nice and uh, concise and true, yes. Third one, the challenge for you, the communicator, is to be able to reach into that big pot of rationally ignorant people and convince them to alter their filter enough to engage with your issue or topic, keeping in mind that the people who are ignorant about your passion aren't stupid. In fact, in many ways, they're smarter than you, is a good start. I thought this was a a very fair quote. Yeah. I just get the impression from people who who are in this position, you just... you just want people to get it, and, and if they don't get it, there's a, a easy tendency to say, "Well, they're just stupid. They just don't get what they're what we're trying to say." But they they really shifted that and said, uh, "It's rationally ignorant people. They have a lot going on in their lives, and they've just they've made a rational decision not to to spend a lot of time on this issue or topic. But if it's important to you, it is your job to." Be able to communicate that with them, and a good start is to acknowledge that that these people may be smarter than you on, on some of these issues. So that was uh, that was number three. Number four, and this is a quote from someone else. So it's a, <laughs> a quote of a quote from uh, 
as I mentioned last podcast, not sure if this counts, but I'm gonna gonna slip it in there anyway. This is from Ben Jones, uh, also known as Cooter. <laughs> it's true. I used to spend ninety percent of my money on whiskey and women. The other ten percent I just wasted. It's in the chapter of um, of confessing. So if uh, if you can call that a confession, well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one other thing, I'm going to open up the actual page and read the full quote, but uh, we're going to talk about Truman's one-armed advisor. <laughs> Harry Truman understood that. He once said he was looking for a one-armed advisor because he was sick of Washington Sharpies telling him, on the other hand, <laughs> that was a funny little uh, little quote asking for the one-armed advisor. Yeah, just, just give get me a, get a straight straight answer. Give me a straight answer. Yeah, I, I have a few my, myself, a few quotes here. I've got, I guess, uh, what uh, I think I also have what I nope, I, I still beat you. I still got six. I got I got six. So you can still give me a little hard time here. But uh, got a few. Um, one is where they say simple questions are the toughest. If you want to be the smartest one in the big meeting, return again and again to the fundamentals. Let someone else whirl around in circles about the details. If you get the big things right, the details are just that, details. Well, yeah, that's that's true and I you know again, I, I find that to be all the all the truer in, you know, high-level scholarship. You find that a lot of times people ignore the simple questions and and partly because they're the hard ones and they're easier to ignore because they're simple. So you just you just kind of pretend they're not there and move on to the next thing. But if you don't get the foundation right, if you don't get the fundamentals right, the model's not going to be right. And so if you want to actually do the best work and do the work that's groundbreaking, you got to focus on those fundamentals. And that's true, I think, in just about every field. And, and I think the, the tendency is for people to do the opposite. It's much easier to focus on the details than it is to get to the fundamentals. Uh, but it's much more rewarding once you actually start getting to the fundamentals and you look a whole lot smarter too, once you're able to, once you're able to handle them. All right, next one. Mm -hmm. If you as a leader lose sight of your strategic objective for even a single moment, you will be astonished by how quickly everyone under you begins to focus on the most inane, irrelevant, goofy crap imaginable. There's really not much to say to that because it is so true. I'm just going to move on to the next one. And this one, I really, I mean, if I had to pick my favorite quote from the book, it's this one, probably just because, again, it hits me sort of where I, where I need it uh, the most at this moment. Are you spending all your time and exhausting all your energy catching field mice? In the short term, it might give you a nice, rewarding feeling, but in the long run, you're going to die. So ask yourself at the end of the day, did I spend today chasing mice or hunting antelope? If you're honest with yourself and the answer is mice, you'd better reassess your focus, get back to the strategic core, and get on the trail of an antelope. And again, that idea of prioritizing and understanding that, again, and this is tied to the, to the details thing too. It's, it's true in life too. If you're just focusing on putting out the next fire, Sometimes you, you, you end up at the end of all this not having built anything. You have to actually find a way to, uh, to piggyback off of, uh, off of the Austin Cleon book we were talking about not that long ago. Uh, you have to find a way to get stock, build up your stock while you're dealing with the flow of life. And so you can't just catch field mice all the time. You have to find the big goals, the, the big, the big pursuits that you, that you're going to push your, your, uh, your best energy toward. 
And I, I, think, I think the way well, that they put that is very good. Field mice versus antelope. Well, and this, uh, this was a section that Ferris quoted from directly in, uh, in Tools of Titan. So, so this was the book suggested by Tim, and then that was his the most impactful part of the book to him. And, he, and in fact, such that he quoted directly in the in the book. It also that quote also reminds me of uh, I believe it was uh, Zig Ziglar who does who does this um, or who used to to do this thing on stage where he uh, he would have a fishbowl and he would have big stones, medium sized stones, small stones, and sand. And the first time he would put in the big stones first, then the medium, then the small, and then the sand, and everything fit. And then he would dump everything out. And then he would start by putting in the sand and then some of the smaller rocks and then the medium rocks. And by that time, you can't get the big rocks in. And it was just a very good visual of if you spend all your time on the little stuff, you're not going to have time for the big stuff. And um, I've, I've, heard, I've heard of that example on, on a few different podcasts. So it was, it was really impactful for, for whoever saw that in person. Uh, but, it, but it deals directly with, uh, with this, this quote, you know, catching field mice or going after the, the bigger game. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, again, it's important to, to recognize that in order to really do well, in order to be successful, that, that decision of deciding which antelope you want to hunt and actually deciding not to get distracted by the field mice at your feet is, is, a, is a really valuable one. And that, and that, to me, again, like uh, Tim Ferriss on that, like Ferriss, uh, I, this was probably the most impactful statement for me in the book. Then there are a couple others that I really liked. Uh, if you're not communicating in stories, you're not communicating. Hello. Um, and then just a couple that were funny. And there were a number of funny, uh, funny quotes throughout this. I mean, they're, they're, Carvel especially is uh, known for his folksy southern bayou humor. And uh, there's a few places where that really comes out in this book. And uh, so you get you know this one. Smart people think that sophistication and brevity are mutually exclusive. That's one of the many reasons we hate smart people. <laughs> well, okay. And again, I think, I think that speaks for itself. And then one actually about the election in 1992. And, you know, sorry for some of our listeners for whom some of the, the language that these uh, gentlemen, uh, and I use that term loosely, uh, use put, in this put, book. Put your earmuffs. Put your earmuffs on. Yeah, the language that they use in this book is is uh, less polite than than in many other books. But he uh, he was talking about uh, Ross Perot's um, uh, delusions during the nineteen ninety two late in the nineteen ninety two election, and particularly uh, having to do with a pit bull uh, allegedly biting someone's uh, rear end. And then he said, "We always feared the election would be decided by a piece of ass, but this is not what Perot had in mind." <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't pass that one up as uh, one of the quotes that uh, definitely had me uh, had me laughing as I was reading through. So with that, let's go ahead and get to uh, the overview and some in initial reactions to this book. And I think, Eric, you had a stronger initial reaction to this book than I did, uh, though I think maybe that reaction has uh, has tempered just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, you kind of mentioned it, you know, it's a it's a brash, brash book. Uh, and, in the style, I, I just, I was thrown off by the style. I didn't like the style and, um, didn't like a lot of what they had to say, but when I was reviewing it for getting ready for this podcast, I was like, you know, there's some really good stuff in here and there's, um, 
there's one chapter in particular that that I'll talk about in our our um, our main section that I think is just brilliant and uh, is something that can be very helpful in in a lot of different areas of, of life, uh, both personal and and business, and so um, I look forward to talking talking about that. Uh, but if, if you if you if you're listening and you haven't read the book, you may be confused as we just read a bunch of, of, of quotes from the book. But the book is is structured at, in in a set of rules. So the the tagline for the book is is twelve winning secrets for, from the war room, and so it's set up a, a lot like the twenty two immutable laws in the sense of you can kind of just go through each chapter and and read the rule quick. And, and that can toggle some of, some of the memories from the book, but uh, that's how it's structured. And then they they delve into each of the of the twelve rules. So uh, it's a great framework. Uh, we we talked in the twenty two laws podcast episode about that book being a great framework to think about marketing, to think about your business, to think about starting a business. Things to keep in mind. This is a great frame, framework for approaching a political campaign. Uh, but, but again, or also running a business. I still think, I think also with yeah. that running a business leadership in general, there's a lot of things about a campaign that, that apply to lots of other things. And I think they, they address yeah. that quite a bit in here. Yeah. And especially the, uh, some of the quotes that you pulled, you know, talking about leadership and, and, uh, so yeah, I did, like the, the 22 laws, it, 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 uh, it expands beyond just the, the business or political realm. The other really cool thing, and again, very similar to 22 laws is it was written in 2002. So we get, we have the the nice ability to look at this book 15 years ahead, and see if these rules still apply. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of benefit in doing that. And that you know, that's that's where books start to te- to to stand the test of time, where you, you can see if they do or not. And we're we're going to discuss some things coming up where they obviously were were on, and in some other items where, you know, uh, from from recent history they they were not right and. And especially after um, you know, a somewhat unique election, it, it, it was it was interesting to read this book on the on the political side of things and to see the rules and you know some of some of that kind of stuff was was thrown out uh, in this most recent election. But um, huh. but yeah, very very interesting to to see what still sticks. And I think most of it does does stick. Mm-hmm. Now I will say some of their political judgments, interestingly, the benefit of hindsight. Uh, suggests that maybe some of their their political judgments were not um, as wise as perhaps they they'd hoped. Uh, one one that particularly stood out to me was was late in the book. Uh, this is uh, the the print edition. This is this is uh, page one ninety nine, where they're criticizing the first Bush administration for their handling of the Kuwait uh, the first Gulf War for handling of that, where they say. Bush Sr. and his national security team were prepared for a partial victory, driving Iraqi troops out of Kuwait, restoring the al-Sabah monarchy to power, protecting oil-drunk Saudi Arabia. But they were unwilling to pay the price of total victory. They feared that removing Saddam from power might result in someone worse replacing him. One of the great unprovable arguments that establishment types love. The truth is the replacement is almost never as bad as the predecessor. When Slobodan Milosevic was driven from power, he was replaced by a much better guy. And it's kind of hard to imagine someone worse than Saddam who used chemical weapons on his own people. 
The Bushies were also unwilling to pay the price of occupation and nation-building, the strategy that worked so well in Japan and Germany after World War II, but it would have been expensive, demanding, lengthy, and unpopular back in the 1990s. Finally, they feared the chaos from a potential breakup of Iraq into three or more separate entities which would end Iraq's occasionally useful role as a counterbalance to Iran. So, applying the Gus factor, which is something they, a rule that they talk about here, Bush Sr. decided he didn't want to chase that car. And then they say, in point of fact, your authors are split on this one. One of us agrees with Bush, one of us doesn't. We'll leave it to you to guess which one. Well, let's just say that the one of them that uh, didn't agree with Bush uh, and was, you know, the primary voice in that particular passage is probably, uh, at, you know, at the point of... Um, of uh, 15 years later, we can say that that person's probably wrong, <laughs> because as it turns out, turns out, replacing Saddam Hussein and trying to engage in nation building wound up with precisely the kind of quagmire that um, the establishment types in the first Bush administration were concerned with. And um, it is not a better situation in Iraq uh, necessarily right now than it was when uh, when Saddam Hussein was in power. So. Yeah, uh, that one didn't age well, but um, I, I will wrote, say uh, I wrote, wrote Libya and Iraq in the in the side there. Yeah, the, the, no, the, not the exactly. Yeah, yeah, the most recent uh, examples of this have not gone in there in in that in the favor of that particular uh, that particular um, passage or that particular section of the book. And I will say this: I actually thought the book got significantly stronger after about the first or second chapter. I I, I found myself in the introduction. I think, or either in the introduction or in the first chapter, I ended up writing in one of the margins. This book is a book of or this book is a list of cliches, because I was kind of frustrated with the tone and how there just wasn't a whole lot of substance there. And it wasn't until I got probably three or four chapters in that I started really going, "Hmm, that's a good quote," or "Yeah, that's a that's a nice principle," or "That's a that's a a good way to put this." And it it, it took a little while for this book to to sort of catch anything that that. I thought was worthwhile, which kind of gets to your um, initial reaction to it. And partly the tone of it is a little grating. And then uh, some, I think it has a much weaker start than it does uh, once they actually get into the flow of, of the actual rules themselves. And then, then, uh, then things, things sort of take off. Yeah. And you, you were nicer in your assessment. My, my very first, first, I, I, I underline while I'm reading the book and then I, 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 flip open the back cover and write kind of more general ideas for the book. And my very first comment in the back of the book was these guys are a-holes and liars. But then I've got a whole section of notes below that where I got a lot of stuff out of it. So I think the same thing I, um, at the beginning was just really turned off and then, uh, uh and it's still turned off by some of the, <laughs> the parts where they just like get on, get on the, uh, uh on the media and just blatantly lie and, and deceive and, and then tell you how they're doing it. And I, just yeah. like, wow, and you, you can look in the mirror at the end of the day. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a little bit of that. Well, let's go so, ahead and get then into a little bit more of the, the details uh, now that we're leaving the, uh, the overview. Um, I, I think you had fl flagged, uh, what, Chapter 5 then as uh, the chapter that sort of most spoke to you as the, uh, the best chapter. I think you've got it as the most immediately applicable. Yeah. Yeah, and, and chapter five covers rule number five, understand the difference between strategy and tactics. And they go uh, a little deeper uh, by highlighting three different parts of a general analysis where you've got 
the first part, the objective, second, the strategy, and third, the tactics. The objective is the overall goal, the strategy is the plan of action, and then the tactics are the tasks that get you there. Uh, the, the idea is to focus on the most important tactics that fit in with the strategies in order to meet the overall objectives. And what, what this did is it, it, it created a my, uh, framework that I immediately began thinking about in terms of faith, family, work, uh, just kind of started thinking about it in a, a broad variety of, of, of different areas. So for instance, what are, what are my main obje- uh, overarching objectives in these areas? So for faith, what is my main objective? For family, what is my main overarching objective uh, for, for work? And then what is my plan to make sure that I'm accomplishing that? And what are the items I do on a daily basis to stay on the right track? Uh, it'd be pretty bad to either not define the main objectives or to have the wrong objectives and to be toiling away in futility with these endless daily tactics. So my main takeaway is to simplify, just focus on the most important tactics that fit in with the overall strategy in order to meet those overarching objectives. Um, and I just like, you know, I like the idea of, of having those main objectives written down somewhere and just being reminded of those every day. And then, and then asking that question, uh, does what I'm doing right now, does this, does this lead me towards my goal in my faith? Does this lead me towards my goal in my, my family? Does this lead me towards my goal in my, in my work? And if not, then, then stop doing it, you know, to simplify, just, just do the things that, that lead you towards those, those overarching goals and, and, uh, or overarching objectives. And, you know, not, not, perhaps not something that you're going to be able to just sit down and, and come up with those quickly. It might, might take time to, to come up with those, but um, it, that was just a really, you know, immediately applicable, let's think about this and then uh, let's proceed with that. I, I really liked that chapter. I think it's extremely valuable. Yeah. I, I actually, some of that's, uh, I think that might be the chapter with the most notes for me as well. I mean, I, I do a similar thing. I've got uh a list of page numbers and, and a notation system in the front of my book. Uh, and I've got quite a few from that, from around that chapter. There are a couple chapters that, uh, that, that stood out uh, actually four and five, I think is where the bulk of my notes f- uh, fell. So if, if you're out there and you want to pick up this book and just kind of get the, uh, you know, get to some of the rules that we found most helpful. I, I, I found rule four, frame the debate. Then Eric with rule five, I, I agree with that one as well. And then uh, rule seven, how to communicate, I thought was also really valuable. That was the other chapter that I spent the most time in. Those three chapters, actually, I, th- I feel like if you read those three chapters, you could almost get the rest of the book out of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, because some, the, some of the other chapters here, I mean, rule number two, kiss ass. Okay, be nice and listen to people. Well, okay. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's good to get a reminder of that, but at some level that, that is maybe less valuable for, for this kind of book. I mean, yeah, I guess people, you know, we all need to hear that once in a while, but the, the, the principles in terms of framing the debate and understanding the difference between strategy and tactics and knowing how to communicate and the way that they get those across, I thought those three chapters were probably the most valuable. And then you could probably get into turn weakness into strength uh, and being nimble as the the next two. So 
I mean, I, I, I think actually if you just read three or five of these chapters rather than all 12, you could probably get basically everything, everything you wanted out of the, or everything you need out of the book. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that everybody would agree with my judgment there, but I think uh, generally speaking, that's, uh, that's a way to go. Now I'm going to violate that. And in, in the other nice lesson that I, or the other thing that I thought that they said really well here, which happens to be from chapter two, which is, uh, which is the rule to ki- uh, kiss ass chapter where they talk about the difference between motivating and dictating. And that, that's actually a really good principle and it's worth that that part is worth uh, of the of the other uh, chapters. That part is worth uh, is worth taking a look at, and I especially like how they said the idea that you can just tell people go do X and they do it and they just do it is a myth. They may do it, but they'll probably do it in a half-assed way or do it without enthusiasm, or they might leave you and do it for someone who treats them better. And that's a really good principle. You know this idea that you have to find ways to explain why people should be following what you're saying if you're going to be a good leader because motivated people who understand at least the piece of the vision that that they need to have to get there are going to are going to kill themselves to do what they believe in but if you don't tap into what they believe in they're not going to do their best work for you and 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 that that's a good lesson in in that part and i i love the story about the uh, the cracked egg which i won't i won't spoil for those those who haven't read the book, but uh, you know, Carvel, uh, uh, the particular part of that that I thought was funny was when uh, you know he had this well-educated uh, you know college graduate, I think with a, an advanced degree, and after he uh, he played this this kid as a part of the uh, the the lesson that he wanted to 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 use as a morale morale building thing in the uh, on, on the campaign. He told the kid to go and get a refund from his university because, you know, he didn't think critically, didn't think well. Uh, and there's a lot of that kind of thing in this book. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, it, like I said, a lot of this stuff could be kind of skimmed, but there's some golden nuggets throughout that I thought were, were worthwhile, particularly yeah. in the chapters that, I, that, that, that those, those three to five chapters that, that I just mentioned. Yeah. In these types of books, I like I like looking for the the thing that's counterintuitive. Yeah, because I think those are the the really key things. And, and there's not there's not a whole lot of that in this book. I mean, turn weakness into strength. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, you know, just a lot of the basics, but some of the some of the stories and uh, and ways about going ways that they go about it, I, I thought were maybe a little different. So that, that was valuable, but just in terms of like, you know, major insight or anything, I, I don't think this is the book for, for that where you're seeing just majorly counterintuitive items. But, uh, yeah, one, one, uh, one rule I liked was in the, um, the chapter for know how to communicate. So this is rule seven and, uh, they use scripture as an example of, uh, consolidating a message. So they talk about, this uh, is, John this is of course Christian scripture. This is the new Testament. Yeah. Uh, John three sixteen, And then, um, also what, uh, is known as the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do to you at the end of it. They said there's more wisdom and truth and more of a challenge in that one little sound bite than in all the health, 
self-help manuals or philosophy texts that you could read in a lifetime. And I know Jason, you had uh, you had some further comments into, <laughs> into this, but I but I I, uh, I just thought that was cool that they they took they took that and, and uh, kind of expounded on that too. What 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 is a good soundbite? What does it consist of? And and giving these different examples and then talking through them on on what makes some good sound bites. Yeah, and I I also liked how they they kind of criticized the people who who criticize sound bites. Like, don't whine and complain that we've become a sound bite culture. Learn to do good sound bites. Learn to mm-hmm. make learn to learn to say things in a pithy way that people are going to understand, so that it's gonna it's gonna get through to them. You know, mm-hmm. and that there is a little bit of that practical angle to this book where it's stop complaining about how things are and work within the way that things work to bring about the change that you think needs to be made on the big things. And that, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's some of the ways that they put that across they're they're, they're, they're really well done. And that's, that's one good example, you know, Oh, you know, he's uh, the way that they do that in that, uh, that passage. Oh, so uh, what if you said, I'm going to throw all that crap out and live my life and raise my kids according to a soundbite. Pretty radical, right? Maybe even stupid. Don't you think? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he basically says, or they say, well, you could lead a good, lead a good life and raise good children just on the basis of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so don't complain about, about, about uh, everything being limited to sound bites. You just have to be better. You have to get those things out. So I, I, I liked that kind of attitude. Uh, on these things that said you you are right that I had some additional comments about their treatment of uh John 316 um this uh uh their their treatment he uh he, he, they you know they read out John 316 which says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life and then they they further say so there it is a one sentence or one sentence tells us that there is an all powerful all loving deity who sent his son to earth as an offering and that whoever accepts that offering and receives and returns that love will not perish when he or she dies but will instead live forever but that's not what the verse says first of all where in the world does it say that he sent his son to earth as an offering it says he gave his only begotten son yeah. And whoever, so that whoever believes in him, and it doesn't say whoever accepts that offering and, and receives and returns that love, and then will not perish when he or she dies, but will instead live forget forever. Well, the verse says will not die, but have everlasting life or will not perish. Their, their, their translation, not exactly how I would take it, but the problem is, you know, their, their analysis of this, actually isn't quite right. And to some degree, if we want to go there, it deconstructs a little bit of the point because the danger is that if you then try to build everything off of that soundbite and you then go off of your own sound bites, leave room for more of your own, uh, uh, predispositions and your own preformed ideas to fill the space. So the problem then is, you wind up having to explain more, which then means that you don't have a soundbite. So it, to some, some degree, uh, undermines the point that they're making, but I understand I'm getting a little pedantic there, but, uh, (laughs) well, I thought it was funny how they ended it. So Paul, one of the authors of the book, uh, Paul Bogala, they said, uh, 
Back to our story, feeling extraordinary smug, Paul then delivered the punchline to Clinton. So they, they referenced this uh, the John 3.16 soundbite. And they, and they said uh, when they said to Clinton when he was the governor, he said, Governor, if the Lord God can explain all the important tenets of Christianity in 6.7 seconds, surely you can tell us if you're for the balanced budget amendment. <laughs> so, Which, I mean, that's pretty- a better soundbite than... Yeah, you know, than most, I would say. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and that's a good example of the kind of story that's in this book that that makes it you know an interesting read in in a number of places. Uh, like I said, I, I you know I think there are certain places where you can critique a little bit much, and some of the the tone is maybe uh, not ideal for some. But 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 I think most of these lessons still do apply. I mean, fifteen years later. So let's let's head on to the conclusions uh, first. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Tim, but I'm questioning your your book recommendations so far. <laughs> Two of my least favorite of the books of Titans are uh, are ones that Tim has recommended, <laughs> and uh, the first was Vagabonding, and then um, and then this one. So uh, we'll see. There, there's some other on the list that uh, that Mr. Ferris himself recommended. So we'll see if he can redeem himself. But uh, as I said before. My, my first reaction to this book was was quite negative, but uh, as I went through the notes again and as we've been discussing it, there, there were some really important pieces out of this book and, and uh, rule five being being one that I think is 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 good for, for businesses to think through, but, but also good, just good for us as individuals uh, to think about through our, our life and, and what's important to us and, and make sure that all the daily things we're doing, uh, align with that, and, and we're not uh, we're not getting getting away from um, where we eventually want to want to end up. Yeah, so I I generally have a similar reaction to that. I probably liked this book a little bit more than than you did, Eric. Um, but it's still not one of those that really flowed as a read to me. I mean, there have been a few of these books that you know I've I've had a hard time putting them down. They've been ones that I've really enjoyed reading through as, as the process. This was not one of those. Uh, I found it a little bit grading at times but i i do think that there was that there was enough value in here particularly in in a, a handful of those chapters that i'm glad i read it uh you know just the antelope section the the mice versus antelope thing and the in the way that they that they get that across and some of the stuff about uh communication i think is it was worth it for me but uh but again not not my favorite of the ones that we've done so far so you know take that for what it's worth. I do think the big takeaway from this book, I think there is one, you know, main takeaway and that is get the, you know, figure out the fundamentals, get the big picture right and let the details take care of themselves is really what a lot of this book boils down to. And that gets down to management style, you know, not micromanaging. It gets down to communication, figure out what the bit, what the big picture you want to paint is and stick to that. Mm-hmm. All sorts of different things. Really, it comes down to it's the fundamentals, stupid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the big picture, stupid. Don't get lost in all the other details. Find find your one big point that you're trying to make and make that point. Figure out what needs to be solved and solve that. Figure out what you want to target as your contribution and do that. You know, focus, you know, get your focus right and everything else will take care of itself. And I, I think that's a valuable lesson. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Now, before we get out of here, just a reminder that you can follow us along, follow along with us 
kind of read is that at booksoftitans.com and of course uh, communicate with us on Twitter or Instagram at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes through iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or your podcast manager of choice. If you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure to give us an effusive five-star rating on iTunes. That really helps us and helps uh, iTunes rank our podcast and, and show it to more people. So just by you doing that, that that helps us, as well as you, uh, you sharing it with uh, your friends and family. We'll be back soon to discuss the next book, which is The Things They Carried. On behalf of Jason Staples, I'm Eric Rostad, and this has been the Books of Titans podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep listening, keep reading, and keep improving. Keep real. And keep it I made this.